Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Cracked Up, the podcast where we talk about everything that makes us feel broken, messed up, confused, lost, and I don't know, Randy, help me out. Yeah, we're going to talk about just how hard this life can be and hopefully offer some skills and some tools and ways that we can really thrive. This program is comprised solely of the participants' recollections, stories, and information as told to host and by host during recorded conversation. Any information disclosed about individuals related to the participants, but not a part of this program, is a retelling of the participants' memory. I'm super excited about our guest today. She's a friend of mine. She's actress and mental health advocate, Arielle Kevel. Yes! I said it right! know you as Arielle. I never have had to say your last Fair. name in Fair. my life. Um, being honest, I hardly say my last name. <laughs> well, but you know what's so funny? I recently just found out there's actually another Arielle Kevel in town. No. Yeah. No. And so the other day someone was like, do you know there's another Arielle Kevel in town? And I was like, no, there's not. That's super <laughs> random. You have I to meet her now. Her. You have to go yeah. find her. Yeah. All right. Well, Arielle. So give me a background because I've known you longer as an actress. How did your mental health advocacy start? Tell me more about it. I'd say just by being a human, you know? Makes sense to us. Absolutely. (laughs) I think even though we're talking about it more now, which is great, everyone's always, you know, had their own story with mental health, whether it's private or public. For sure. And I don't see how you, I guess I don't see how you don't in being a human being <laughs> um, and going through all the emotions and struggles and triumphs that we all go through um, in this lifetime. So I, I feel like I uh, very early on definitely internalized anything I was going through, definitely did not share it, definitely used survival and coping mechanisms to kind of hide it all, tuck it all away, and then honestly use it in either sports or acting. That was kind of, I would bottle things up and then use it as explosive to either make me like the best competitor in whatever sport I was playing or like the best actress in the room. I mean, in my opinion. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And so... So that goes back to middle school. Um, But in terms of really getting in touch with what my own mental health journey was, is um, I would say I didn't really start like facing it until my mid 20s. Was there something that happened that kind of was a catalyst to that? Yeah. Again, early on, like surprisingly, even before the acting industry, even like with sports, I had struggled with body image stuff and um, really kept it all private, secret, hidden. I really liked the idea that um, everything looked perfect from the outside because there was a lot going on that I just like didn't know how to even process myself. And so when I went to school, it felt like school was an escape and I wanted, I could, it felt like I could create the perfect life and the version of me I wanted I wished I could be at school and like no one would know that that wasn't actually the case I kind of used going to school as um almost like a character in and of itself like I could create 
my character. And so with body stuff, there was outside circumstances that would trigger it to make it worse. You know, it was like a breakup or this or that, but it finally got to the point where it was like, why are you giving all these other outside circumstances power over your life, your body? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I was putting everything else first instead of me and everyone growing up has their different coping mechanisms. For me, it was about like surviving, control, being perfect, doing it all myself, making my own money, doing my own thing. Like just, you know, that was, I'm going to create safety for myself, no matter what's happening around me. And there's a lot of good that came from all of that, but there's other things that came along the way that were not so nurturing. Um, yeah. And then, and it's just so weird because now looking back at it, it feels like three lifetimes ago. Like I, you know, I don't know that we'll, I'll ever not have like, body image stuff like sometimes if I'm getting ready for an event or something things pop up where I'm like I call that being a woman yeah, in yeah, America yeah. Like, <laughs> super judgy or like you know yeah why yeah. did I like my makeup yesterday not today whatever like the extra judgment I don't think that'll ever go away you could be on your period oh, and okay. you're just feeling away yeah it's like not even a question now you know it's like that it really does feel like every uh pattern that was in my nervous system I rerouted into a new pattern where it doesn't exist anymore. A few weekends ago, I was hosting, I was at something for Vampire Diaries. And, you know, there's so many amazing young women there. And so many, both men and women come up to me talking about my character. And the show is, is, has ended a while ago now, but it continues to air and affects people. So it's got the old fans, the new fans, you know, and a fan had wrote and said, you know, you were so much cuter with your chubby cheeks. I wish you hadn't lost all that weight. I'm talking about now that I was cuter back then. And I felt very strongly. I don't normally write people back if I feel like it's a negative energy, but I felt it was important to share. And I wrote them back. I said, you know, be careful what you're saying to someone because I'm actually the healthiest now I've ever been. I said, first of all, first of all, I was 23 when I did that show. So of course I have more baby cheeks. We all have right. our little chipmunk cheeks. We started that show like 18 years ago, whatever the fuck it was. Like, okay. Yeah. But like everyone had more baby cheeks. Whereas now I'm older, my face is skinnier, but I'm the healthiest I've ever been. So, yeah. you know, I said, be careful what you're saying to someone because you really don't know what you're seeing is on camera. You have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. And they wrote back right away. Um, and I was happy we had that exchange because that's, I don't normally do, but I feel very protective of anyone that says, oh, you looked better back then. I feel very protective of the journey of like then and now. And just because someone thinks you look better, it doesn't matter because if you're not better on the inside, it's not healthy. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's the other thing. Like, you know, I think women in general, people feel like they have the permission to comment on your body and your looks all the time. And they don't realize how, especially the younger you are, how much that impacts you. Like women are, you start to be sexualized when you're like 12, right? Even younger sometimes. So like to have the world always commenting, but then you add to it the pressures that you are under, which, you know, to be a celebrity, to be, on stage to be in the spotlight, people really think they have the right to fucking comment on your body. So I'm sure that propelled things 
forward even worse when you were going through it. And so I totally understand your passion. Yeah. Now. And I feel protective um, of the people watching now. Like I want them to know yeah. what's healthy and what's not as they may or may not be going through their own struggles. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love how you handled that because like you said, I, I try not to engage with negative energy and it sounds like you kind of put your own feelings aside or your ego aside and just kind of gave her some good advice in that context. Thank you. Yeah. It's funny how that happens sometimes, you know, she just landed in my DMs and I was like, well, here we go. We're going to get into it. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, I give you so much credit. I think it takes a lot of self-security, but also you're, you're brave to be able to be that vulnerable. Um, and knowing that you're helping other people. So yeah, when you are willing to be vulnerable, that's really when we see, we can all see how similar we all are and that all of our feelings, maybe it's through a different situation, but our feelings are still the same. I, I think that was definitely a driving force as to why Randy and I wanted to start this podcast was for that reason of sharing stories, opening up conversations that people aren't willing to have, sometimes oversharing, um, but, but it helps. It invites people in. Um, I know you also did another event recently at a gala for mental health, suicide awareness, yes, correct? Yes. The foundation is called Life is Priceless. Um, it's a wonderful foundation. They have recently donated for the holidays. You know, they donated funds to um, NAMI and to a children's mental health organization. And they just do what they can to not only continue educating people about mental health and suicide prevention and depression, but they also are really all about raising funds to give to these larger organizations uh, one of my dear friends is on the board there and I got involved with them um and Tim and David they were brothers both passed now they asked me to speak at the gala and that that was my first my first reaction was hell no we <laughs> were actually leaving a Laurelyn Jackson retreat for anyone who doesn't know Laurelyn Jackson is my favorite psychic medium of all time she's in Long Island but she has books signs and the light between us we were leaving a retreat with her and my friend turned to me and said, you should speak at this gala. And I was like, oh. because, you know, <laughs> when you're leaving something like that, everyone's just like high on life and energy and all these amazing miracles around you. I'm, I'm kind of like, if I'm getting asked in this moment, it's probably a yes, right? It's probably the very reason why I should do it. So I was very scared going into it. I, it took me like two weeks to put my thoughts to paper. And what I realized was, you know, another thing is I've been um, around uh, suicide. I've been aware of suicide since, since I was uh, young. And although could say I've quote unquote dealt with it, it's also something that, you know, I've shoved down deep and don't really talk about every day. And so in being asked to speak at this gala was starting to dig things up that were pretty difficult for me and also showed me like, oh, maybe I haven't processed as much as I thought I have. <laughs> and so my one of my dear friends and first boyfriends uh, in middle school um, committed suicide. And, uh, you know, it's those moments, I think, for, for anyone who's been through it, like, I'll always remember exactly where I was when I found out. I'll remember... 
every word that was said right after that, I'll remember all these things I was thinking of like, what could I have done? What could someone else done? Was like just all this stuff. And then the shock of like the the deep realizations of they're really gone. And how do you deal with death is hard enough. How do you deal with this kind of death? It doesn't make sense. It's so hard. I'm angry. I'm confused. And then that kind of surrender too of like, at a certain point, no matter how much you help someone, if they don't want the help, they're going to do what they are going to do, which is so, I think, one of the hardest. I mean, it's hard to even say. Um, so that brought up a lot for me. And then from there, I've had other, you know, the, uh, friends and family members who have attempted and I've been either in the room and found them or the phone call that was made to help save them or... And then, you know, having to go to work and not tell anyone and wonder if they're alive or dead or if they're going to make it or what else can I do or should I have gotten on a plane or, you know, at one time I was out of the country and then trusting the people there have got it, you know, um, and being able to trust, 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 trust while also helping and um, just all the things that come with it. And so I, I, I've never... I feel fortunate. I've never had, you know, I think as a teen, maybe I like, you know, thought I was so moody and emotional. I thought, but I didn't have real um, suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Not, not the way people who actually take the step to do it. And, um, and so for me, it's been more about because I love these people and I was so close to them learning how it affected me in terms of like, you know, at certain points in my life, I definitely um, developed more kind of codependent relationships and an effort to keep people healthy or, you know, which ultimately means to help keep me safe. Right. Well, if they're feeling like you're responsible for them so that, yes. And then to not lose them and then having to like, learn to let go and retrain myself that that's not healthy for them or me and that's not actually the best way to even love them you know even if I thought at the time that was the best way to show love it's actually not like you can only do what you can do and so often too seeing is how it just it's all mixed together right or like how much addiction and and mental health disorders are paired so then it's like well are you treating the addiction are you treating the mental health do you treat one at a time do you treat them both simultaneously right right. what medicine effect you know if there's a medicine that some people believe in medicine some people don't okay well then where does that leave you with this medicine is going to make your addiction worse or or this medicine is going to help your addiction but make Mm -hmm. your depression worse or you know that it's kind of like you're suddenly if you do believe in medicine you're like a scientific lab rat and then you don't Mm. it's all of the natural it's the natural journey which sometimes is healthier but can take longer so can you afford to take that time can you afford it period financially um so all these sorts of things like i developed my kind of relationship and and then because the because these bigger things were around me then it would cause me to stuff my stuff away even more right so like the more I was around someone who was maybe suicidal or bipolar or depressed or the more I didn't talk about my stuff 
Yeah. Mm, yeah. I can imagine yeah. how scary that was. I feel like that's such a common thing. And I think that uh, when you're, especially if you grow up around people who have clearly diagnosed mental illness, you do tend to manifest this idea like, well, whatever the fuck I'm going through, it's secondary to what that is. You know, to be at the place in your own journey now, reflecting on how you can't control any of these other people. You can continue to control how you handle it, but the reality is you're not going to save any one person's life by being over-attentive. And sometimes you can even make it worse. I mean, I know I yeah. did. I'm definitely guilty of that in the, in the beginning when I didn't understand it. That's why I think, you know, these programs like, well, you know, I mean, it goes back to like um, AA and Al-Anon, right? Like they're yeah. both equally as important because you have to learn how to, one is healing the addiction, but the other is like healing the unhealthy coping mechanisms or absolutely yes can drive both people crazy so um it's really uh, as important to do your work on how you're helping someone else as it is on how you're helping yourself and don't put so much of the pressure on yourself to be the one helping them because that toes the line of that codependency um, I know Rand, Randy's taught me a lot about how to define codependency and how to work with it. It's a tough one because, you know, you really do genuinely care for people, but you can you can get lost. It's a hard in that. line to draw. Ariel, I want to go back for a second because you mentioned your first boyfriend in middle school committed suicide. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Was did he commit suicide when you were in middle school or was this later on in life? So we knew each other in middle school. We were friends and then boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that means for middle school. Um, and then I think he was like 14. Uh, we, we were pretty new to high school when he did it. I mean, he, he was trying and talking about it back then, but he actually did it. I think when he was 14. So young. I mean, I, I can't imagine you guys, any of you having to go through that at that age. And he was so full of life. He had the best laugh. Oh my gosh. And I talked about this as a gala, actually. I was like, you know, he loved Wu-Tang forever. He wore these like big chains. He had a big goofy laugh. He was just huge, huge energy force. Like he was the type of guy to be friends with anyone. Everyone loved him. You know, but behind closed doors, he really struggled. And, and he would tell me he didn't want to be here. And, you know, even then it was a different time. I think even though medication was available, I think even back then, as, as it wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough where definitely it wasn't something that even kids talked about. Like, I'm sure medicine's evolved since then, but also, like, I remember him kind of telling me in secret how he was feeling. Like it wasn't even something that he felt comfortable telling most of his close friends about. So it was like this show he was putting on. Um, and then he would tell like me about the real version of who he was. But then that's a lot. It was a lot on me. And also, and then it was like, well, what do I do? Because it, it was like, you know, if I told anyone threats were made, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I miss him, and I, um, I don't know. I, it was I did not know how to handle it at that time. 
Yeah. Did you talk to anyone at that point? Any grief counseling or anything? No. No, I think that's why it was so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in speaking at this gala, I really wanted to honor him and bring his, you know, brightest memories forward. But also reiterate, like, you never forget, you know, this happened when we were very young. And um, and what I, the other thing I didn't realize was that I kind of cut off, even though I remembered him always, I kind of forced myself to cut off that connection to him. And another thing I felt was really important to share that night and to continue to share now is that talking about him has actually reconnected me to him in a way that I love. And I didn't realize I was afraid. I was afraid to actually like remember that I loved him. Um, I was afraid to remember that I missed him. I was afraid to, you know, pray and talk to him. I was afraid to open up that connection again. And I'm so grateful I did. Um, because I'm like, oh my God, there he is. It's not the same. It will never be the same. I feel a connection to him that I haven't felt in a long time. And it's part of why I'm talking about him now is it's almost like this commitment to him again to honor him and honor his memory and honor our time together and bring him forward whenever I can. And I was really afraid to do that. And this, it totally, like, I don't know, brought him forward in my life again which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. And it seems like some healing for you has happened also. Definitely. Definitely. I did not realize how much I had shut off. And then also now looking back to the other like suicide attempts from my friends and family members, each time that happened, I would shut a little more off just in case it happened. Cause it's like, well, I really won't be able to handle it if it does, you know, so start shutting off now. But yeah, and it's just so funny. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's like after being so vulnerable and I was like terrified, I was shaking, I was crying, I love it. Like, but I, I do feel stronger and I did feel stronger. And it's like, yeah, it sounds so, so cliche, but talking about it helped so much. It was like, oh my God, I was like giving the silence and the fear, so much power, you know, things flow and like, and then the love comes back and it doesn't mean I don't miss him. I miss him terribly, but the, the love is back. Yeah. It seems like by denying or staying in the grief or staying in the anger or the sadness, it was like a form of protection for so many years. And now, like Randy said, it sounds like you've hit a new level of acceptance and healing so that you can breathe life to him by talking about him. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, so I just, I want to shift gears a little bit because I know you're doing other work um, that goes more in line with another passion of yours. Horses! Yay, horses. <laughs> um, so you've adopted a wild Mustang. My pride and joy. Yes. Snow White. She Snow has been quite a journey for you. Um, yes. So part of what's helped me my whole life is horses. So when I was young, anything I was going through, if I was scared of, um, you know, there'd be stuff like uh, financially, we were kind of up and down all over if I was growing up and stuff. And I would go to the barn and tell my horse everything. My horse was my best friend. It was where I felt the most comfortable. I didn't feel the most comfortable around the 
girls at the barn, but I felt the most comfortable around horses at the barn and my horse. I want, I wished, I wished I was as cool as those barn girls, but I always felt like I wasn't. But yeah, so I was telling my horse everything, grew up doing fancy hunter jumper stuff, always wanted to, also always cared about rescue. I work with an organization called Skydog Sanctuary. They're out west. They have 9,000 acres in Oregon where the horses can roam free. They also have a smaller um, sanctuary in Malibu. Started working with them, I think in like 2018, maybe 2019, became a board member, have learned so much. I was always passionate about horses and rescue, but working with them, I really got to dive deep into what's happening to our wild horses in America with the roundups. And a lot of people don't know that our tax dollars are actually paying for all of it. It's atrocious. It's violent. It's inhumane. And um, these wild horses are getting round up by helicopter. They're getting separated from their herds. They're getting put in holding pens. Right now there's like 60,000 wild horses in holding. Obviously they can't care for that kind of volume. So eventually some do get adopted out, which is great, or go to organizations like Skydog where they come in and rescue them. But then the rest of them get go to kill buyers and get um, ships down the slaughter pipeline to Canada and Mexico. And what's even more gross is that some of them will impregnate the horses before they ship them because you get more money per pound for meat when you're slaughtering them. So it's a really just, I could go on and on about all things happening, but the bottom line is our wild horses are supposed to be protected. They're not. Skydog does an incredible job rescuing the ones that they can. Um, and my mayor, Snow White, came from a group of 11 Mustangs that Skydog helped rescue um, a night before slaughter. And this really cool um, ex-trooper named Anne took the 11 and said, you know, I'll try and adopt them out to good homes. I'll keep some and try and adopt them out. She's in North, North, North New York. So I was able to go up and meet Snow and bring her down. And when I met her, I couldn't touch her. I could barely look her in the eye. Um, and little by little, started working with her. And now she follows me around like a dog. I was just there. And you know I love working out in the cold because I hate the cold. Um, but she, like, literally every single day, she blows my mind. My heart explodes with love when I see her. And she's really inspired a whole new journey for me, and like talking about mental health. As much as I knew horses, I I feel like I, she's completely retrained me and continues to retrain me. And so it's really inspired me to um, work on opening up a program with equine therapy. I feel really passionate about offering it to children, especially with mental health issues. Um, I've seen her with children and it's blown my mind. I just think, what a special thing we could do with rescuing these Mustangs and also just to heal, heal, you know, it's healing for the Mustangs and healing for people. So that's become my new mission. So here I was just worried I was getting a horse and now I'm like, my whole life trajectory, I'm like, whoa, where are we doing now? What's remarkable is you're taking Snow and you're slowly taking her out of her own trauma experience, right? That whole roundup, all of that. And you're going to put her in a position to help 
humans in that position. I think that's like this really beautiful cycle that it's going through. Um, with equine therapy, can you tell us a little more about that modality of therapy? Do you know enough that you feel like you could shed, shed a little light on it for people who've never heard of it yeah, before? I mean, it's pretty much what it sounds like. And again, I'm not an actual therapist, so I'll, I'll do how I can describe it. But, but it's, you know, equine therapy a lot of times is offered to uh, war vets, to anyone who's been through, um, you know, who has PTSD, I've seen other programs that are offered offered to people dealing with sexual trauma. Again, like I mentioned, kids with mental health disorders, but also I've seen. I remember my aunt um, had dementia, and she, I think, was doing equine therapy twice a week um, for the motor skills and the the cognition skills so it's a really remarkable modality in the sense that you know it, you can hit it across the board with different traumas and, and things that you're wanting to heal but the, the basic concept is that these animals are perfect reflections of ourselves, um but they also hold space for us and so you can kind of start to see your own behavior back with them um and so the more that you open up the more they open up, you know, if you're holding space or, I mean, if you're crying, they're holding space for your tears. A human heart projects out eight feet. That's its magnetic field as, as, as a human, a heart's magnetic field, a heart's work. Oh my God. Say that five times fast. A horse's heart's magnetic field um, <laughs> radiates out 40 feet. So just by being in this field with them, you know, you're, you're, you're actually in a different energy field. You're encompassed wow. in love. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I've heard, I've I'm, I'm just become familiar with something called mapping. Yes. Horses, parts. So another thing that's pretty cool is um, horses, when they're in the wild, their heartbeats will sync up. So if anyone horse's heartbeat raises, they know either there's something going on with that horse or they're in trouble or there's danger coming. So when you really start to understand what a herd animal, a horse is, when you're stepping into that, talking about equine therapy and how sensitive they are with their heart, with their healing, with their feelings, you're really stepping into this like giant beast that, you know, is this field of love but that can like literally feel you in a way that you've maybe never been felt before. And then you can feel yourself back. I say it all the time. I'd rather spend time with children and animals, more so children <laughs> for me. Randy's more on the animal end. Um, yeah, you keep saying this. <laughs> but I, I'd rather spend time with children and animals are similar because it's like, they're just stripped of all the life shit we <laughs> as grown humans, grown people accumulate that just fuck up our energy flow where we can't connect with each other purely. And so you just said it perfectly. You explained it very well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they offer some like a groundedness almost. Mm. And the way I, and I don't know mapping too well, so I'm, I can't even attempt to explain it, but I feel like you did a pretty good job of kind of explaining, you know, their energy levels and their, their heart rates. And if we're matching that, that can offer us an opportunity to, to, I guess, 
trigger our parasympathetic nervous system and essentially calm our nervous system. So it's really incredible. And I'm thank you for teaching us about it. I knew nothing about it until today. Um, the, my only familiarity with it was um, when I worked in a lot of substance abuse clinics, we'd refer our patients to inpatient rehabs. Um, and my patients would come back and tell me that they spent a lot of time with horses. And I was like, oh, that's incredible. But still, I never really knew like the, the logistics behind it or understood how healing it really can be. So that's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ariel, for everything, for sharing so much and being so vulnerable and just giving us your time and your story and your heart. Yes, I'm so thankful you all are doing this. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Cracked Up. Angelica and I are very excited about the episodes we have ahead where we talk about everything from trauma, recovery, self-worth, and so much more affecting our mental health today. If you have a show idea or a topic you'd like us to explore more, please reach out. Yeah, like Randy said, we'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram. That's at cracked underscore up triple underscore. You can message us there. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple. You can also find us on YouTube and TikTok. Thank you again for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. This podcast is presented solely for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not intended as a substitute for any type of medical advice.